You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. So we will move to our topic now, chapter 33 of the Confession. Um, If you have your copies with you, uh, that's fantastic. If you don't have copies of the Confession, we have printed out copies. Um, And so raise your hand and uh, Ron will get you a copy of just this chapter that we're looking at today. It's three paragraphs, very short, very brief. Um, And I will say... um, I will say the one thing that is conspicuously absent that we probably won't talk about today, maybe if we have time at the end, is the so-called millennial views. So we're not, it's not talking about uh, uh, amillennialism, uh, postmillennialism, premillennialism, if you're familiar with these terms. If you're not, great, don't worry about it. If you are, the confession is conspicuously silent, and that's intentional because these various views are all acceptable um, in the confession. It's not taking a stance on the particular views saying, hey, Christians come to various views and we don't think we can say you must believe this biblically. Now, I do think it's good for Christians to understand the debate. So if we have time, we'll talk about it and you can see you know, where you might fall on that. Um, but you'll notice the confession doesn't talk about that. So that's not going to be the focus of our time together this morning. All right. So we are at chapter 33, section 1. And so what we'll do is I'll just read through this and we'll stop and go back and, um, and make comments. So section one of chapter 33, this is answering the question, what happens on the last day? And if you remember last time, sorry, I said we we're going to start and I of course can't. Uh, remember last time in chapter 32, was it uh, section two, I believe, it talked about this last day. And the last day is the day we are raised from the dead, the resurrection of the bodies reunited to the soul. And it's coming back to this point in time. What's happening on this last day, the day of Christ's return, as we'll see explicitly here, um, what will happen when Christ returns? So picking up that same theme, uh, what happens on this day? So let's read it together. God have appointed a day, that last day, wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father, in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. All right, so there's a lot here. But I'm not sure there's much that uh, is as confusing as maybe some other sections, right? This is pretty straightforward saying what uh, Christians universally believe about this return of Christ, the day of Christ. And the emphasis here is this is a day of judgment. He's appointed a day wherein God will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. And if you have um, another copy of the confession, yours doesn't have it that I just passed out. But there's all kinds of footnotes, right? And they show you all kinds of scripture where it speaks of these things and it teaches these things explicitly. Uh, So for example, we have Acts 17.30, where it's written, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 
And who is that? Who is the man he's appointed? Who's raised from the dead? Of course, Jesus Christ is the one who God has appointed to be the judge on the last day. And you notice that there's a lot of phrases here uh, that come straight from scripture, right? Judge the world in righteousness that comes straight from Acts 17. So Christ will be the judge. All power and judgment is given to him by the Father. We see John 5, 22 and verse 25. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And the Father has given his Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Connecting back to Daniel 9, right? That Son of Man passage where the Son of Man comes in clouds. And that's the image of what's happening on the final day. The Son comes in power to judge. And this, of course, connects to our discussion earlier on of who is Jesus, what has he done, and what is he coming to do? The judgment, the return, finally setting all things right. I'm getting ahead of myself, what's happening. But that this is the eternal Son of God, taken on human flesh, who will return to judge. And this day, so who is being judged? The next phrase says, in this day, in which day, not only the apostate angels shall be judged. Okay, stop there. Um, how many of you, when you think of the last day, think of, you know, apostate angels being judged, right? Yeah, see some heads snow, right? I don't think that's the first thing we think of, but this is manifestly biblical. Uh, we can see 2 Peter 2, 4, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So there's an analogy there. The, the fallen angels have been cast into gloomy darkness, into hell in the same way. Um, those who die apart from Christ, their souls are cast into hell until the resurrection and the judgment. And on that day, these angels who are awaiting judgment will be judged finally and fully uh, for their sin of uh, sin against God and rejecting him. So makes this little side, a side comment. These angels will be judged, but who else will be judged? Likewise, all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear, appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds. All people on earth, everybody will appear before the seat of Christ and will give an account for everything they have done. It will be publicly laid out what has happened, what you have done. Every sin, every righteous thing, every good thing, every bad thing will be laid public and you will be, uh, you will appear before Christ who will judge. Everyone who has lived shall appear. There's no exception Uh, This is for every single person created in God's image. And you will have to give an account of your thoughts, words, and deeds, which is terrifying. Is it not? Romans 2.16, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men, our secret thoughts. Uh, will be laid bare. And of course, the, uh, this gets to the uh, seriousness with which we take sin, right? It's not just a sin if you do it, but it's a sin if you think it, a sin if you desire it. And all of our sinful desires will be shown. We will be called to account for them on that last day before Christ. We will have to give an account. Why did you do this? What was your reason? And to receive, so the next part is you will have to give an account and you will have to, and then you will receive according to what you have done in the body, whether good or evil. And this comes directly from 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So they're taking directly there from 2 Corinthians. We will appear, we will give an account, and we will receive according to what we have done in the body. There will be a judgment for that. And so there's a couple issues here that, that come up. How does this relate to a couple things? One, um, levels of rewards or punishment in heaven and hell. Uh, are there levels of rewards and punishment? And I'll say this much, 
Um, I think, yes, there are to a degree. There are, I do think scripture, like our passage we just read and other passages, there is a, a sense of a greater judgment for those who have uh, known the gospel, heard the gospel, uh, even profess faith, and then fall away, uh, or, and their profession was, was found to be futile. Those who knew and pretended and who were a part of the people of God, there's a greater judgment for them than those who did not so fully sink their teeth into uh, the realities of the gospel. Uh, so there's a greater judgment, uh, but there's also a greater reward, I do believe. And scripture teaches that. Now, what does that mean? I have no idea, right? It doesn't mean like some of us are going to be looking up at others who've done greater things and be jealous in heaven or anything like that. All of it will point to the grace of Christ, the grace of God, because any good deed is done by what? Nothing other than the grace of God. So anything good that we have done, we can't even take credit for. And so what does that mean as far as levels of reward? I have no idea, frankly. But there is something, doing something for the sake of God, for his glory in this life, is something that will be reverberating through eternity. And that is, we'll see later, an encouragement for us to do good, to seek the glory of God. Don't you think part of it is we won't be jealous because it will be perfectly just? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we can rejoice in their, uh, what, what they have done and their righteous deeds. And we're going to talk today in the sermon today about faith and works. What's the relation and all that kind of stuff, which is wonderful because this is exactly what we're getting to here. Cause people will say then, well, now does this mean, is this a judgment of eternal salvation based on my works, right? Is this based on if I do enough good deeds, I get into heaven. If I do, um, not enough, then I go to hell. Is that what scripture teaching is teaching? Is that what the confession has said is saying? No, that I don't believe that's what's going on here. And so we have to think about the relationship of this judgment and these words with our justification. Justification we talked about um, chapter, does anybody remember? I don't remember what chapter number. Okay, good. I'm not the only one who forgot. Chapter whatever in the confession. Um, justification is a legal declaration when we put our faith in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is ours. He has forgiven us of our sins. And there's a legal declaration at that point in time, which there's true faith in Christ. And so there is a, a, a declaration that you are just. And so the question is, what's happening at the final judgment that's different from this initial justification? So some people will say, yes, there's initial justification. And then there's final justification. And this is a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, for example. So they'll say initial justification happens when you are baptized. And then you've got to work the rest of your life to make sure you stay within justification. And then you, there's the final justification that says, yes, you accomplished that. You can come into heaven. Or maybe you got to go to purgatory for a little bit to burn off the, the little excess, but you can go into heaven eventually. Um, that's not what, what I'm speaking of. Some reformed people will speak of a initial justification and final justification, but usually that's, we don't think that's the most helpful way of speaking. We think of justification as the judgment rendered by God. It is an eternal decree, an eternal, a, a real reality that happens in space, time, and history when we trust in Christ. You are righteous, and that is a judgment that cannot ever be overturned. For those who truly look to Christ, who receive and rest upon him for salvation alone, as he is offered in the gospel, that, that, that declaration of justification is true for eternity. And so then what's happening at the, at, the, at the final judgment that's different from that? So we're not going to say that's initial justification, this is the final justification. But what we're saying, uh, reformed, the Reformed tradition has spoken of this in a couple different ways. And one that I think is helpful is this is the public acquittal. This is a public vindication, a public declaration in the way that the initial, I'm using the word initial, don't let me use that, uh, where our justification is not a public declaration in the same way that the final judgment day will be a public declaration, a, universal, a universally known reality. 
Um, and, and so it's an acquittal also. So it's showing that you are acquitted of anything, any sin that you have committed. It will be laid bare and you are acquitted of that. It is the public statement that you are not held guilty for your sin. Why? For the sake of Christ. But it's not like we need, it's not like the first justification is insufficient for that. It's that this is the final day where it will be made public before all. And we will hear that statement. Well done, my good and faithful servant for those who are in Christ. Not because you're a wonderful person, but because of what Christ has done in you and the work of the spirit to continue to conform you to the image of Christ. And yes, there will be righteous deeds. There will be good deeds done by Christians. Yes, and praise God for that. But ultimately, you don't take, you don't take credit for any of that because for, for, for Christ's glory and from him alone. So let's go one, two. And so last week we talked about upon death immediately seeing God. That's right. Yeah, so then... Do we chronologically think that there's, I mean, is this connected back to how this public nature of it? So you're fully there in the presence of God, seeing God, so you don't have to wait for the final judgment for that. But this is That's the right. public nature of that. That's right, exactly. So um, upon death, the soul is made perfect in holiness and is in the presence of God. We'll see his face, all that we talked about. So that's the soul, but on this last day, what's different about that is the soul has been reunited to the resurrected body. And so once that happens, then this public declaration happens. So there will be the enjoyment of the presence of God immediately upon death for the believer in our, in our soul. But we're still yearning for the reality that we're not just souls, we're, we're embodied souls. And we're waiting, yearning for that resurrection and then once the resurrection happens, the souls and bodies reunited, then that public declaration happens. So there is a, a chronology to that. And so I, that's a, a good point. Does that clarify, make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I was all along the same line in that last, in that final, mm-hmm. suggest there was something prior. Yeah. So you could easily make the case that there was a judgment when we pass away soul. Right. There has to be a decision of whether you're in hell. Or that's right. So there is a judgment in that. That's right. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah, there is a judgment as with, with regard to the soul. When the soul dies, will your soul go to torment or will your soul go to God's presence? Hebrews There's. 9, um, 27, right, that says, and it is uh, appointed to you that everyone must die once That's right. and then come before That's right. Judgment. Exactly. So that it's almost, yeah, like you were saying, that's, that's the first judgment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's almost the yeah, and, and again, I think the, the biggest difference is this final judgment is the public nature of it. It's the public declaration for all people, all places, all times who are gathered before the throne of Christ will know separation of sheep and goats. And that's the prime example, the image Jesus paints of every, every, every human being will come before him and he'll separate sheep and goats publicly for everyone to see. And so I think that's right, though. We will, we will know the verdict before we get there, right? It's not like the verdict will be for us secret. That's right. That's right. The final judgment. That's right. Where body and soul, then they will be cast into hell at that point. Um, not, just, not just soul any longer. They are. They are. Everyone will rise again. Um, and then, the, then Jesus distinguishes between the resurrection of judgment or damnation and the resurrection of life. And there's one or two. Um, and then that's obviously the result of, the, of this final judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have two um, hopefully brief comments. Um, basically, I, I wonder, this is pure speculation, but I wonder what is happening with time and compression of time and expansion of time in heaven and where... Like I, I wonder if it'll be that we get there 
and we are delighting in God, and then, oh, boom, there's a final judgment, and it's all happening. Right, you know, right. I, I wonder how long it will feel like for, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, it's yeah. outside time. So right. I often puzzle over this. Yeah. Um, that's the first comment. Yeah. And the second comment, that, I mean, we can't really know. Um, and then the second comment is that I wonder how this connects, this judgment, with the idea that there will be no tears in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, how, I wonder how, you know, how are we not going to feel shame over these these horrible things right. that they bear for right. everybody to see? Right. And, and how can that not motivate us in a guilty way in this life? You know, it's like yeah. I've, I've struggled very, very much yeah. with this passage, especially when I was a teenager. Right. Just feeling like, oh, no, I have to really work hard to be good here in this mm-hmm. life because I don't mm-hmm. want to be really painfully embarrassed with the final right. judgment. Right. And I don't know that that's the motivation or the emphasis Right. Right. Yeah. And we'll get to the motivation in a few moments. But yeah, two two brief comments. I appreciate that. The first with regard to the temporal nature of um, you know time between while our soul is is in heaven awaiting the resurrection. The the thing that I go back to is uh, Revelation six, I believe, where the souls of the martyrs are under the the altar in heaven. And they're crying out, how long, O Lord, until our blood can be avenged? And so there is a yearning and there's a waiting. It's not an instantaneous thing. That's the soul sleep idea. It's not instantaneous. But yeah, will there be compression? Will it be elongated? What's that going to look like? But there is a sense of, of, it's, of awaiting completion. There's not a sense of like, we're here, we're happy forever. Yes, we're in God's presence and we'll be happy forever there. But a, a sense that it's not totally complete because we're not reunited to our bodies as we were created to be. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a great a great point. Um, it's something to think about. And you're right, we can't ultimately know. Um, but then the other one on the the guilt and the shame, and I think that speaks to I think I think we all resonate with that reality and our sin, the shame we feel and the guilt we feel. I I, th- I think um, that probably has more to do with our today unbelief. And what I mean is this: our unbelief that Christ truly bore the curse for our sins, right? And I know you know this. I'm not trying to pick on you or anything. But, but we all feel this, right? Did Christ actually die for my sins, atoning for them and, and satisfying the judgment that is due for them? We now have a hard time connecting those dots and ex- existentially feeling that. But when we see Christ in heaven, who's advocating for us, says, this is my brother. I died for him. And the judge declares us guilty for all times. We won't feel the guilt. It's been born by the, by, the, by the nails in his hand. And I apparently found out the spear did not pierce both sides. It just went in one side. I found out this weekend. But yes, by, by his death, his, all of our guilt and shame will be gone because we will see our risen Savior who took the curse of it all. Yeah? Well, along those, along those same lines, I can't remember who said this about Sproul or another contemporary pastor. But anyway, said... You know, in at the time when you die, you will be so sanctified that you could see your own mother in hell and be content knowing that is just. Yeah. And so we will just I mean, that's a you know, we cannot even imagine what that sanctification right. yeah. would be like. It's a great point. I'm glad he said it, not me. <laughs> a hard thing to say, but a true thing. Good. So um we so Paragraph one, called to account. So the, let's move on to paragraph two. Um, and the question here is, what is the purpose of this last day, this last judgment? Why? 
What's, what's the, the undergirding rationale? And we'll read this. The end, the ultimate reason, purpose, blah, blah, blah. The end of God's appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect. So there's two things. This first one is the manifestation of his glory and mercy. And that's where, as everyone is declared publicly vindicated, forgiven, righteous, every time the cheers of the mercy of God. Over and over and over. It's God's mercy. That's what we're going to see clearly before us. Over and over. And what a glorious thing that will be as all of his elect, all of his people are declared for the sake of nothing that they did, for the sake of no good that is in there, because our, our evil will be exposed, right? Our sins will be exposed. And it's very clear, we are, not, we are not God's people because we are anything greater than anybody else. God told Israel, I chose you not because you were great, but you were small. And that is the same reason we are his people. And so his mercy will be on display. Um, <coughs> I have a footnote in my notes. Okay, we'll keep moving. And then the other side of this is of his justice. So the end of God's appointing uh, this day is for the manifestation of the glory of his justice in the damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. So God's justice will be clearly on display. His glory in his justice. So we'll see his glory in his mercy, his glory in his justice. In that... Every wrong will be punished. Every evil will be held, uh, will call, be called to account. Everything wrong that is done will be declared wrong and will receive the just eternal punishment that is due for that. And God's justice will be vindicated, will be dis- displayed, because this is what must happen. Sin can't just, just be forgotten. Sin can't be just written off. It must be paid for. And if it's not paid for by Christ, you pay for it yourself. And so God's justice will be clearly on display for all to see to the praise of his glory. We'll stop there. So these are the ultimate ends. The ultimate end of all of this is what? God's glory. It's not about us. It's not about me going into God's presence for eternity. All of that is serving a greater end, the glory of the triune God of the universe. It's all for him. The uh, explain the truth of our reality. What do you mean particularly by that? Like Just God's true perspective of what is really, right. really happening yeah. versus what everybody's telling us is happening. Yeah, I, I think so. And I don't think it's an instantaneous thing, though. But I think it's something that we, as part of the glory of eternity, is we will grow in our understanding and knowledge of all that's happening. We will, all the lies will be laid bare and will, we will at the judgment know all the lies that were perpetrated and promulgated. Uh, we, those will be laid out for us to see. And over the course of time, we will understand more and more God's glory and his uh, wisdom in his sovereignty throughout all time now. And so we will grow in that. Is that answering your question? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we will. We will grow in understanding what's happening now. Job will learn why God allowed him to go through his intense suffering. Because he never knew uh, in his life. Uh, but he will find out on that day. And we will know the truth of the reality around us now. What else? These ultimate ends. Is that puzzling? Is it problematic? 
And I think this is where the best of our theological tradition um, takes us. Because it's not about us, not about man, it's all about God. And that's the whole, the whole thing, is all about God's glory. We want nothing other than that. All of salvation is about God's glory. All of our life is about God. Everything we do is about God. And I think this is reflecting that in these ends and these purposes. Can you explain how the significance of this impacts how we view ourselves in light of gospel today and how we live today? Yes, the confession will next section. We'll get there. We'll get there. Good. Good, good. Um, let's, let's finish up this section. Um, for then shall the righteous go into everlasting life. So after the judgment, the righteous will go into everlasting life and receive the fullness of joy and refreshing, which shall come from the presence of the Lord. And we could go on and on and on about the blessing of the righteous. This is our embodied selves enjoying God's very presence. Physically, we will exist in our same bodies that we live today in. We will exist in those bodies for eternity, praising God in the new heavens and new earth, enjoying his creation, enjoying one another, but all centered around the glory of God. What a day that will be. As we said earlier, every tear will be wiped away and we will know joy unceasing in his presence. We can go on and on there. Um, We spent some time in that last week a little bit. Let's move on. But the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast into eternal torments and be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so they will be Uh, they will receive judgment. Those apart from Christ who do not heed the gospel, who do not come to Christ, put their faith and trust in him, who do not receive and rest upon him alone as he is offered in the gospel, they will receive the just results of of their life, of their sin. And that will be eternal damnation. And Christ talks about this more vividly than anybody else in all scripture, what that will look like. It's not a time where you will cease to exist, but there will be a time for the sinner, for eternity to suffer under the weight of judgment forever. John. And I will at least ask the question. Um, in the Garden of Eden, if you, even if, if you obey, you will eat the fruit of the tree and you will live, live. That's right. But if you, if you, if you eat the tree of knowledge and evil, you will die, die. That's right. That's right. And there is a, a sense of the, the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea of, of death, death being, being that punishment. That's right. And it's, I'm not arguing whether it is eternal, mm-hmm. because it's clear that it's, it's, a, it's a final judgment, a final thing, but I, I don't know, it's, it seems less clear than, it, it doesn't seem completely clear exactly what that state would be like. Right, right. I know, I, I agree, it's yeah. Ceasing to exist, or, or it's, it's eternal, it's destruction, it's all, it's, it is all, right. but it, right. it's unclear exactly in my mind. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and, and I have not done great study in this and, and the particulars and, and the realities of what that's like. Um, I do think, uh, I, I do think b- b- the Bible teaches it will be conscious, conscious torment. So there's not a point in time in which we're extinguished or those in, in hell will be extinguished. Um, and the question is, okay, what does death mean, right? Uh, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, and the day you eat of it, in Genesis 2, you shall surely die. What does that mean? Um, and there's a lot, a lot there to unpack. But um, I, I do think the, the death it speaks of is this ultimate uh, judgment. And, and, and as we noticed last time, it's even in the presence of God. Like God doesn't withdraw his presence. They're cast away from God's gracious presence. But it is the presence of God that torments them for eternity because of their sin, their unrighteousness. So 
I don't have much to add, but I think, I think you're right. Uh, somewhat silly question. Becca wants to know whether or not if there's no death in the new heaven and new earth, what will be meat to eat? Yeah. So there, there will be no human death, but I don't see any indication that death of, of animals or plant life is, um, is a curse or a bad thing. I think it was all created for our good. And so I take a position, I think, hold it lightly, that even in the Garden of Eden, there was death of plant life, clearly. Um, and then I don't see the uh, 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 ontological difference between death of plant life and death of uh, animal life. And so I think even in the garden, there could have been death of, maybe I'm opening up another can of worms. But I, so I think new heavens and new earth, at the end of the day, yes, I think there's gonna be meat, I think. So yeah, and we can have Sam smoke us some, so it'd be great. <laughs> Now, a lot of people would argue against the fact right. that animals not in a fesh, which is a, a, Greek, a Hebrew word for soul, where mm-hmm. plants do not, and, right. and does have a fesh. Right. So they do share uh, this um, something that plants do not have. And, there's a, and men were made to be vegetarians when they were created. Maybe. That's debated. Well, we'll, we're going to go to another time, but that is debated. That's inferred from things that are scripture. Scripture never says that clearly. And so I've I've been influenced by some that hold a different view. So, um, so yes. All right. We can talk about that one later. Um, All right. So let's go to section three in the last few minutes we have here. Um, And this is the question. What does the last day mean for us now? So thank you, Jacob, for teeing this up. Uh, what does this final day mean for us today? As Christ would have us be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment. Pause there, right? Christ, Christ, uh, the Olivet Discourse, um, uh, which is before, right before Christ goes uh, to the final Last Supper and his death, the, he spends significant time talking with his disciples, telling them about this. There's a Matthew 24, 25, um, chapter after chapter, going through parables, going through stating things clearly, going through all this language saying, there's a final judgment coming over and over. That's where the sheep and the goats come from. That's where uh, the parable of the, the ten virgins, there all these parables speaking of this reality. So Christ wants to tell us a judgment is coming. So I, I like this statement. Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded there shall be a day of judgment. And some of the reasons why. Both to deter all men from sin. Right? Judgment is coming, so don't sin. Okay, that seems pretty, pretty basic, right? You will be held account for your sin. And the second one is this, and for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity. And I love this. This is wonderfully pastoral because this is a reality that we are all sinners sinning against other people, but we are also sufferers being the recipients of the sin of other people, the recipients of the effects of the sin of other people. And we say, that's so wrong. Don't sin against me that way. That's wrong. That's terrible. Something needs to be done. And yes, we do think things need to be done when people sin against you. But in this life, there's not going to be right justice for you. No matter how hard you try, you will not get justice for the things and the evil that people do to you. But where will that happen? Where will that come? It will come on the final day. There is a comfort knowing every wrong that's committed against you, even if you're powerless to do anything about it. Every wrong will be righted. They will be called to account for their sin. They will have to give an account and they will be punished for it. And so uh, this is a comfort for us, a consolation, as it says, for the godly in their adversity today, that all those who sin against me will be called to account and I will be vindicated. And not to say, oh, I'm right and they're wrong, but the sin that they have done will be called to account. 
Yeah. When you say they will be punished. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So believers will be punished because the sin that they have, a believer sins against you in a heinous way. That sin will be punished. It will be for it will be punished for eternity on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so when a Christian sins against you, we know that Christ is ultimately the one who's bearing the weight of that sin, and it grieves us, and we hate it, and we experience we experience such pain from it. But yet there will be a vindication where that evil will be shown to have been placed upon the shoulders of Christ. And in their you know, eternal glory of God, we will be re- reunited together in, in fellowship that day. But it, for, you're right, for the believer, it is Christ who has borne that punishment. For the unbeliever, they will bear it themselves, one way or the other. And we are, uh, for either way, for us, we see a consolation in that. So, yeah, that's a very perceptive, good question. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I'm not saying sit there in your suffering and don't do anything about it. And no, there's, there's all kinds of things that we can do and should do and socially are being done. Um, and I think that's right and good. And the church calls people to account for their sin, right? So if a Christian is, is committing heinous sin, the church's job is to call them back. Say, no, this is wrong. This is evil. Cease your sin against the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's part of the, the job of the church to do that. And, um, and so, yes, there is, there is a temporal justice that we strive for today, but it, perfect justice will never be established today until Christ's return. Yeah, that's a great point. So we have a consolation for the godly for, to deter us from sin. Okay, then we go to the next part. So will he have that day unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security? Uh, so we'll stop there. So the day is unknown, and Jesus makes that very clear. Only the Father in heaven knows this day. We don't know. If people tell you they know the day, they don't know. So don't believe them, right? Uh, if they say, oh, it's going to be January 1 and, you know, whatever year, don't believe them. They're wrong. Nobody knows. Jesus made that abundantly clear. I know there have been hundreds of people that have been wrong in previous times and ages, but I think this now But this right. time is going to be right. This time we know, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. We don't know. And anybody who tells you they know is lying. We don't know. And this is to spur, like, okay, imagine if we knew it was January 1, 2023. What would our sinful selves do? We say, well, pff, December 31, we'll get things in order. I'll, I'll think about God then. And until then, I get to do what I want to do. Right? This is for our good that we don't know. It may be tomorrow. It may be right now. It may be next year. Maybe a thousand years from now. We don't know. And so this is to uh, not allow us, it, it, so to, for us to shake off all carnal security. Any security we have in the flesh and to say every day, and the next part says, to be watchful because they know not at what hour the Lord will come. So every day, be ready. Be prepared every moment for the end to come. It could come at any point in time. And this is, again, this is Christ's point over and over. Nobody knows. Be ready. Be ready. And so the, to circle back more completely to Jacob's question, I'm going to let you answer it. Tell us, how does this, what does this do for the Christian? In light of the gospel, is this all about guilt and fear and like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't, I just feel guilty for my sin. I don't want to sin more. What? No, as you were just talking, I was, I was thinking that watchfulness is practicing what's going to happen on the judgment day where we take what we've done and we put it on Christ. Yeah. And we remember that the judgment that God pours out on that last day on all those who are not in Christ has already been poured out for us on mm-hmm. Christ. So we should right. look into that. That's right. That's what enables us to be justified when we profess faith, 
And if we let the power of that judgment end when we profess faith, then we won't grow and we won't be sanctified. So yep. as we continue to grow, um, every time we sin, we have to remind ourselves, this was paid for. But let me remind myself of that and not bear the guilt of it. And it, it leads us to that comfort, that consolation as well. Yeah. Yes, and that's why I voted yes on your presbytery exam. Good job. Um, <laughs> I think that's exactly right. Right. So this is not, the final judgment is not, and this is the point you're making, it's not the white knuckle, okay, sin less, right? Because I'm going to be held account for it. That's, that's not the motivation here. The motivation is here is look at what Christ has done. He will return any moment. And why would I want to do anything but glorify him? This is part of the sanctification process. We can tie in dozens of chapters through the confession to put, get us to this point. But this is, for, this is for God's glory, how God is working in us and using this as one of the means to propel us to greater communion with Christ that we would live and honor him with our lives. And so I think you, you said it well, and I don't need to say any more. So great point. Um, and then it ends here uh, as we come to a conclusion. Um, and so this is all. Uh, we're being watchful that we uh, may be ever prepared to say Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the cry of the Christian's heart. The cry is, I desire to see my Savior. I desire for everything wrong to be made right. I desire for his glory to be made known to everyone, everyone who he has created. And this is a direct quote from uh, Revelation 22, the final verses of Scripture. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And that's what we need. The grace of Christ to be with us every day. He declares, I am coming soon. What a joy that is for the Christian. We are ready. Every moment we wait for him, for his glory to be revealed. Well, also, Jason, just it's a sobering thing when you think that there are those who are headed for destruction. Yes. And and you look at this and you see the finality and That's right. the turnout That's right. of this. And so I think it, it compels us then as Paul prayed for that open door. Yes, to absolutely. And to be watchful, not just anticipating, oh, you know, come Lord Jesus quickly, yes, but... In some respects, I have this feeling of, well, don't come, don't come. Right. You know, my brother-in-law's not saved, my niece. Yes. So there's that tension of um, just that burden. That's right. We want to share the gospel because we know not that day. Yeah, that's exactly right. No, and, and that propels us to spread the gospel. It propels us to desire the salvation of our neighbor because we don't know if they have another hour, their own life, or for Christ's return. We have no idea. It propels us. The gospel is an urgent message. The gospel is urgently proclaimed to the world. Say, come to Christ because you will stand accountable for everything you've done. And, but look at his grace and his glory. And for us, we, for many reasons, uh, we, we, we love our neighbors and desire them to hear this and at the same time, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.
what a joy it is. Well, I've loved this study through the confession. We will have a couple weeks through May or for, through April, a couple different things going on. Next week, come back. We'll be doing a Q&A with our uh, candidates uh, for office. And the next two weeks, we'll be doing those Q&As. So submit questions to me. There's forms online, or you can write them down, give them to me, email me, whatever. Um, and we will have some Q&A with them. And our deacons will have a Sunday of, of sharing and helping us understand some of the work that they're doing and how we can help. There's a lot going on. And then I think in May, we're going to begin with the shorter catechism. So begin working through another one of our, these three documents um, again. And what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. It is the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we are grateful to be the recipients of this mercy. We proclaim your glory. We proclaim your grace in Jesus Christ. We, do, we desire that the whole world would know this Christ, that they would not perish, but they would come and know Christ alongside with us to praise his name, to sing his praises. Help us, Lord, in this next hour to do just that, to lift up your name. And as you are working in our midst, as you have promised, may you build us up more and more into the image of Christ, that we would honor you with every day of our lives. We look to you and are grateful for your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.